www.spiritguides.co.uk network radio. Today's guest is Dr. Kevin Ross Emery. Dr. Kevin's work in the esoteric field and spiritual counselling is as diverse as they come. With multiple books published, most notably a book detailing a lost form of ancient Reiki channeled from a 5,000-year-old Tibetan monk called Weichi and a book called Experiment Earth, which chronicles the lost civilizations of Atlantis, Lemuria, and the reason world events have played out ever since. Dr. Kevin is also an established and experienced spiritual coach and counsellor, helping children and adults with ADD and ADHD. So, welcome to the show. Um, um, Dr. Kevin, um, your, your CV on your site, you've... Um, basically channeled some new information uh, regarding Reiki, I understand, um, which you've written a book about as well. Um, you also um, help people on the ADD and ADHD spectrum. Is that right? Uh, well, you know, and it's interesting, uh, Ian, you should ask that question, because over here, and, you know, I do do work on both sides of the pond, so I'm over there sometimes and I'm over here sometimes, um, is over here they've changed it. So ADD actually technically no longer exists. Okay. Now, I mean, and, and it's, all, it's all a political game by the powers that be that, you know, indicate what kind of medications they can write and stuff like this. But technically, it's now ADHD, and one kind of ADHD is the old kind of ADD, and the other kind is the old kind of ADHD. And it's, but I'm just putting that out there. Okay. Technically, on this side of the pond, ADD doesn't really exist. Now, I've been saying for years that I don't actually believe in ADHD, which is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I've, my experience has been that it's an ADD individual in a bad environment on a bad diet um, that doesn't have the proper structure. And when I have worked with these individuals and put them on a protocol, the H, the hyperactivity, goes away. Now, from a, now I, I know, again, because I have spent some time in the UK and I have some regular uh, people that come on my radio show from the UK, I know that you are as ridiculously political as we are over here. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's all about who's going to get the largest bribe from the pharmaceutical companies or the AMA or, you know, whoever's doling the cash out to the people in Parliament and Congress. And one of the things is that people were starting to question whether ADD was even legitimate a legitimate reason to give medication. And of course, as soon as somebody couldn't be making money off these poor children, they had to rechange the labeling so that they could. I see. Yeah, I just want to give our listeners a brief background um, of the topics that you cover. And that was very informative on the ADHD and the ADD uh, side of things. Um, if you could just move on now on to the other topics that you uh, cover in your work, and then we can um, lead on to the Atlantis and Lemuria topic. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I always actually like to say that, uh, you know, I've my... <laughs> My grandmother first talked to me about my psychic abilities when I was four because they were so obvious. We, we played a game, and when I was four years old, I told my grandmother what she looked like when she was my age, how she wore her hair, the name of her best friend, 
And I sang her the song they used to sing when they played together. And my grandmother sat down and she said to me, Kevin, you have a gift and it's a gift from God. But people will tell you that it's wrong or that it's bad or that they don't believe you. But as long as you know it's a gift from God, everything will be okay. And that began my spiritual awareness journey. Now, I was only four, and those were very big words. But they always stuck with me, that I had something, and it was something that today I'm going to use the word controversial at four years old. It just was something that was going to cause trouble. You know, that there <laughs> yeah, so was your grandmother sensitive as well? Yes. You see, my grandmother actually had been a spiritualist, and she had um, been a platform medium by the time she was 16 at one of the largest spiritualist camps in the United States. So she recognized the family gift. And in fact, I mean, once upon a time, years ago, one of my PR and marketing people actually put out that psychic abilities didn't run in my family, they galloped because we have several generations. I have a great-great-grandmother that's a Micmac medicine woman. I had aunts that were used for research studies and by state, of, uh, by state police for murder investigations. I mean, it, it's all through the family line, actually. So from that standpoint, you know, I was really like I was born this way and was lucky enough to be given... Uh, a positive label for it, that this was a good thing, that this wasn't something bad. And then, you know, I grew up in a haunted house and uh, did a lot of astral travel and things like this. And by the time I was 16, I had done my first professional psychic reading. And so... From, from there, just to give you a quick, the, the quick overview you asked for, I did that until I left high school, and my mother and stepfather really wanted me to get a, you know, go to college, get a real job, become a real person, that sort of thing, because we all know being psychic's not real. And, uh, and so I did that, and I spent 12 years in the corporate world troubleshooting, training, got my first degrees in the corporate world, uh, made, you know, made a bit of a name for myself, and then woke up one day and realized that there was no joy in my life, that I wasn't happy, that I, that I knew that I was supposed to be doing something more. And that was 18 years ago, a little over 18 years ago. And I left all of the corporate world behind, all the trappings, everything, and started the spiritual business which I've been doing full-time for, for the 18 years now. Uh, primarily, my primary practice is as a spiritual coach and counselor. I do work as a medical intuitive. I still do all of the psychic services that you would think of, past lives, mediumship, clairvoyance, clairaudience, prophecy, all of those things. There's, there's very little out there I haven't touched because I've been doing it for so long. Um, and so from that standpoint, when I started my practice, you know, one of the, one of the things that I did because I had a background in business at this point was I created a spiritual business and I ran it as a business. It has, you know, my, my vision and mission statement 
is to, you know, help people with empowerment and personal and spiritual growth, but it's still a business mission statement. Yeah. You know, I, I have a very, very strong belief, or I shouldn't even say that, I have a very strong knowing that spirit wants spiritual people to have money because we spend it in spiritual ways. And money is just an energy exchange. Yeah. And when you have people who are more aware, who are kinder, who care about the environment and the world and care about other people and are psychically in tuned, we use that energy that we call money and we make the planet a better place to live in. So I've been in this business for 18 years, again, because I run it as a business. And in fact, one of the DVDs I just released was The Keys to Prosperity. Um, and some of the work I've done through the years has been helping people not only develop their psychic gifts, but how to set up a successful spiritual business so that they can be valued and compensated and recognized for who they are, as it should yeah. be. So it's valuing yourself, isn't it? Where a lot of people think that they shouldn't be um, earning money for it. So they kind of don't feel worthy or, or you know, well, whatever. Um, so it's kind of honoring yourself as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I, I laugh as I say this because, you know, I have a five-day-a-week radio show as well. And my Friday show is called What a Load of Crap with Dr. Kevin, where no sacred cow is above the knife. And, um, <laughs> and people that come to me and tell me that, you know, well, it's a gift from God and I should just give it away. And I'm like, well, your life is a gift from God. Give that away too. Like, go hang yourself. Well, it's the same you know. way that an artist is, you know, they can paint. That's a gift from God, isn't it? Um, but you shouldn't, you should be able to enjoy that and get something back. Otherwise, you'll just go into the, you just become nothing. You know, you won't be able to earn any money from it. You end up being homeless or, or whatever, and you just don't value yourself. So, everyone has got a gift. Like, even the next person in the street who can wash windows can probably do something the next person can't do. But, so everyone's got a gift, whether it's mediumship or just not, just writing or, or whatever. Oh, yes. And you see, and that's just it. And when we value ourselves, we are also valuing others. And, and you know, it really, it's, it's, it's only successful in when in valuing ourselves, we value others. Because then it's that win-win. And so when we recognize and value each other, and we see a value to it, and this is how we assign value in today's world. We assign value by how many pounds we hand somebody, how many euros, how many dollars. That's the way the world we created. And, you know, don't you want to have healing work value? Don't you want gifts that help people live better or more empowered lives to be valued? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? You know, everyone lives a better life. Everybody lives a more joyful life. People don't have to run around stuck in poverty or shooting people or doing drugs or selling their body, uh, you, know, to, you know, to get their next heroin fix or to eat their next meal if everybody were living in a everybody has value and everybody needs to be recognized for their value. Yeah. You know, 
you know, type of existence. Exactly. So that's a little bit about my background. I mean, obviously, that's very abbreviated because, you know, I've, you know, I teach over 40 different classes and I have several books on the market and, you know, you know, DVDs and CDs and I've traveled all over the world teaching and, but, you know, that's the thumbnail. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we, we can give out your website address at the end of the show as well and uh, perhaps just go through some of the books that you've written if we get time. Um, I mean, what I wanted to focus on on this show anyway was the um, your the channeling stuff that you you do, um, where you've been bringing through information about Atlantis, Lemuria, um, and also the book where you talk about Experiment Earth as well, sort of journey back to the beginning. So if you could just sort of lead us through that, that'd be really good. Absolutely, Ian. Um, first of all, let me start with trans channeling because I don't like to make any assumptions that people are going to know or have the same definition that I have. So let's start with trans-channeling, because first of all, the, the term channeling, and you know, as, as New Age and spiritual stuff has gotten more popular, and we just have a plethora of books and spiritual gurus, and of course I laugh every time somebody says New Age, because there's nothing really new about it, is, it? is no, there? Ancient. It's all been, <laughs> it's all been around for, for 10 or 20 or 30,000 years, we just mm. keep on forgetting it, and then we discover it, it's you know, it's almost like the human consciousness has a form of Alzheimer's disease. <laughs> um, very true, very true. Um, and so uh, channeling uh, is one of the psychic abilities. I mean, one of the DVDs I have out is Are You Psychic? And I've been teaching psychic development classes for 17 of those 18 years, helping people develop their own psychic. And so we have different kinds of channeling. And channeling can is usually an indication of a more clairaudient psychic ability. It usually is you're hearing voices in your head. Now, the, I know the American Psychiatric Association and the, probably the, you know, the UK Psychiatric Association likes to call it schizophrenia and you know, write a few more prescriptions, um, but we call it channeling. Now, there's co-channeling, which means that you know, the person who is doing, let's say, a psychic reading for you or doing platform stuff for you, they're getting messages, and those messages are being identified from a source of some kind. They hear the message, and then they deliver it. It goes through their filter system. They kind of filter, filtrate in what they get, and then they filter out what they give. Some people give it exactly as they get it. Some don't. Some people refuse to give what they think are negative messages, which is another whole show we can have sometime if you want, because that's another load of crap. Yeah. Um, but in, so that's co-channeling. And most of when people say, I channel, they're talking about co-channeling, that they're talking their you know, spirit guide or someone else. Now, if they're technically talking to somebody who walked the earth plane with, in, in current times, like their life crossed over the lives of the people that they're talking to, then it's mediumship, and it's a little different. But channeling is usually if you're, you know, messages from the angels or spirit guides or, you know, more ancient sources of wisdom. Trans-channeling, and I do co-channeling, um, but uh, trans-channeling, which is where the information that came out in Experiment Earth, uh, Journey Back to the Beginning, uh, which is about Atlantis and Lemuria and has stuff about angels and root races and all of those things. Um, Trans-channeling, I go into a trance where that which is Kevin is no longer 
in the conscious. That which is Kevin goes, goes away, so to speak. And another, a different entity it speaks through me to bring forth some message that they feel is important to deliver. Ramtha, Abraham, um, I'm trying to think. There's, a, there's another one that people usually recognize the name of, and it's slipping my mind right now. But those are a couple of – those are trance channels. Technically, they're going into trance, and when that happens, the entity is speaking. It's using my vocal cords. It may go into my head, and, you know, and people tend to be very fascinated by this, so I'm going to take a, a minute and talk about it. You know, they'll go in, and they'll access my – my, my language database, so to speak, to come up with the right words and the right meanings to communicate the message that they're trying to communicate to the crowd, um, which, mean, which is funny because, you know, two things go on. First is um, they'll be searching around, some channel will be searching around in my head to explain something, and I'll come out of trance channel, and suddenly, you know, I'll have... Uh, there'll be like an open file in my head about something. And I'll, I'll be like, did the trans channel talk about this for some reason or whatever? Yeah. It's sort of floating around um, in your consciousness. Yeah, they kind of float around. Well, I mean, w- one of the prime examples of that that I found very funny was um, one of my channels was talk- trying to talk about something that was confusing. And what they found is they found the file which held all the music from the musical The King and I. And the king sings a line about it's a puzzlement. And so, the, you know, which of course is not actually a word. It's a word, you know, Hammerstein and, and uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein created to write the song for the king and I. But when I came out of Trans Channel, I'm like, it's a puzzlement? Did they say something about a puzzlement? Because I, I could yeah. hear Yule Brenner singing in my head. <laughs> and I knew I wasn't channeling Yule Brenner because he wasn't dead yet at that point. Right. Um, <laughs> so, that, so that's one example. Um, now, the other thing is, is that my auditory canal is there. So sometimes when I come out, I'll remember bits and pieces of what's said because my ears heard it. And they hear it like you would hear it if somebody was talking in a room that you were sleeping in. You're asleep, but some part of the conversation filters into your auditory canal. Mm. So I, just, I want to kind of put that out. Again, yeah. I found that when I've talked about this, people have been very fascinated. They really want to know how this stuff works. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so one of the things is, so when I go into trance, I allow myself to be put aside. It's like I'm put into a separate room. There are a couple of notable exceptions. There's a couple of of, of channels that I channel with, and they do very specific things with me. The Native American Council of Grandmothers is one of them. Wei Chi, the uh, 5,000-year-old Tibetan shaman that brought me the information about the lost steps of Reiki, uh, is another one that will treat me somewhat differently. Um, but for the most part, they'll come through and they'll deliver their messages. Um, so, now, have you ever been to a trans-channeling, Ian? I have, yes, and I also produce a show as well every two weeks with a trance medium shit that works in exactly the same way that you're describing. So they go into trance, uh, very deep trance, and their consciousness is removed completely, and they're verbally talking. And I've also um, sat in a circle as well, a trance circle, and we all um, kind of developed 
transmediumship and done transfiguration and stuff like that, but not of the quality or level that you are working from and, and also that Gregory works from. Um, but I have touched on it myself. And now, who, what's Gregory's name? Uh, Gregory is um, he's a, a guide that passed away in 1723. And oh, he, okay, that's the guide's name. Okay. That's right, he comes through uh, Mick. That's right, yeah, so he's a guide. To see. And now, now, and of course, now this is language, and language is very fascinating. And of course, language is different. Certainly, it's different when we hop the pond. Yeah. You know, people that think that people in the UK speak English and that we speak English have never been to both places. Yeah. Uh, uh, you speak English, we speak American, Australians speak Australian. They just sound alike. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, See, now, I would call that trans-channeling, not trans-mediumship, because I do trans-mediumship, but not very often. In fact, I pretty much, I pretty much refuse to do trans-mediumship, and I'm going to just delineate from my, my view of the world what the difference is. Okay. Um, and that is that trans-mediumship is somebody who just recently walked the earth plane that has a connection to somebody who's here. And so I would do trans-mediumship for your grandmother if she was on the other side. And I could go into trance and your grandmother could talk to you, but your grandmother walked the earth plane and she's talking from that part of you and she still has some connection to the earth plane because people that she was connected to are still walking on the earth plane. Where trans-channeling is what I would call uh, your Gregory because Gregory no longer walks on the earth plane. He has no connection to anybody who walks on the earth plane from an individual, more human perspective. And so, like, I trans-channel Simon Peter, who is St. Peter from the New Testament. That's one of the people I trans-channel. Wei Chi, the ancient Tibetan monk, um, the Native American Council of Grandmothers. These are people who come in, and they're playing more of a spirit guide, ancient wisdom... Uh, no, there's no personal connection left for them on the earth plane. Yeah. And so that's just a little delineation that I make. Yeah. So again, I would call your Gregory, in my languaging, trans-channeling. And I would call, if I let your grandmother speak through me, um, instead of just having her give me messages and me giving them to you, uh, do you have a grandmother on the other side, Ian? I do. Was she saucy? Uh, one of them was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was a bit saucy, wasn't she? Yes, very. Yeah, very. Yeah, because kind of, she started talking to me. I'm sorry. Okay. I okay. got distracted for a moment. <laughs> uh, that's what happens. Uh, I use an example, and then they think I'm trying to, you know, they'll, like, show up. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, they like she's that. Very happy with what you're, she's very happy with what you're doing now. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Yeah, she is. I'm very she, happy she, as well. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's she's actually talking a lot about how um interesting. She said you were that you were a born troublemaker just like she was. <laughs> Good for you. I have to edit that bit out. <laughs> what? I have to edit that bit out. <laughs> no you don't. Born There's nothing maker. wrong with that. Oh, hey there. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, she's quite happy with you. She's, yeah. you know, you're Bless pushing her. people's comfort zones. You're, you're, yeah. you're out there. You're, you're stirring things up. That's, she's oh, well. calling that a troublemaker. Oh, that's good to know. I'll leave it in. Yeah. Anyways, so, um, 
But uh, no, I think it's sweet. But yeah. she was saucy. She she popped right up. She she, she yeah. She was no, she uh, was actually yeah. Yeah, I can see her. She wasn't for wasn't a very big thing either, was she? No. Um, no. No, I. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she gave people a run for their money. Um, oh great. Anyways, I'm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, uh, so she. Um, so anyway, so the the trans. The trans channeling. I, when I first saw trans channeling, um, it was very big, and it had to have been probably 16 years ago. Uh, and there was a phase where everybody in the world, at least on this side of the pond, was trans channeling the Archangel Michael. I mean, poor Michael. I, I think his wings. I think his feathers must have gone bald because <laughs> it seemed like everybody yeah. was speaking for him. Yeah, and I went to two or three trans channelings, and I have to tell you, I was rather unimpressed. They came through, you know. Somebody came through, and Michael wants you to know that the angels love you and they care about you, and he wasn't taking personal questions, and he only would dealt with world matters, and da 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 da, and the channeling was over, and I kind of went, well, that was useless. I mean, you know. Somebody, you know, somebody came in and said, I'm speaking for the Archangel Michael. I'm going to blow a bunch of air up your skirt, not tell you a damn thing, and, you know, and leave. I'm like, well, that's not got much value in my book. I want, I want meat. <laughs> I want somebody to come in and give me some really good information or tell me where I'm screwing up and I need to, you know, like, yeah. get with the program. So, I mean, what, what um, when, when you do your trans channeling, what um, entities was it that brought through the information regarding the Atlantis stuff and the, the Earth journey? Few, I had a few of them, actually. Yeah. And, and, and part of it was when I, when, I, I, for when, I, when I first started channeling, my first requirement was, because you want to make agreements if you do this sort of thing, that they had to say things of value. And the primary voice of Experiment Earth was an extraterrestrial named Key. Ki, and he says, and he always says that you can call that you can call him Key. Um, if I'm not careful, I'm going to fall into trans channel on you. I can feel him around me. Um, and uh, and he loves being interviewed on the radio show. We had a radio show person interview him once. Yeah, man went screaming from the room. Um, <laughs> it was in person. Wow. So, anyway, so Key, <laughs> Key was an extraterrestrial. Uh, is an extraterrestrial, and he. Um, started talking about how the Earth was an experiment. Okay. And I was going... Go ahead. No, go for it. Yeah, go. Oh, yeah. And so, Key uh, said that, you, that we, we can call him Key, uh, and interestingly enough, he says this because he says that we're a name-obsessed little species, and we need to find something to call him, or we won't be happy. Um, and that he's part of a race that he is like the last survivor of. And they were kind of like observers. They were energy. They don't have a physical body, and they don't have an emotional body. When they were created by what we would call God, um, it had a... Um, they were closer to angels than we were, so to speak. Okay. They were like they were like the scientific brain of God, 
and in energy, in spirit and intellect, they would travel around and they looked at all of the different things that had been created in the universe, all the different alien races and how things evolved and how things went on. And now, unlike the angels, and this is some of the information, and I had some angels, Metatron speaks in the book Experiment Earth, uh, Gabriel speaks, Ariel speaks, he is the primary voice, we get some messages from the Native American Council of Grandmothers, um, and um, the, the book itself actually is, is six weeks out of my life. This is actually a travel journey where I was going to go teach a class on Atlantis and Lemuria based on information that I had researched and studied with a little bit of intuitive that I had gotten, but I was more looking at the Edgar Cayce stuff and some other things. And these guys came in and filled in the holes. Like, why were there four root races? Why, you know, why were the angels created? And why was Earth an experiment? And why is Earth different than any other plant, planet that God created? Um, and so these all comes up, these all come up in different places, uh, in different places in the book, because the book is a conversation between myself and my life partner at the time as we got off a intuitive, uh, an intuition cruise that I had been teaching on in the Caribbean. And we're driving up to uh, Columbia, South Carolina to teach a class on Atlantis and Lemuria. And the six-week journey, which brought us to a Native American um, sweat lodge, uh, uh, brought us to Atlanta, Georgia, where I went into channel at a, at a deli and started channeling at a deli key who does not have a quiet voice. Um, so all of these people in the deep south are looking at suddenly this very elongated face and this very loud, booming alien voice speaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he talked about why Earth was an experiment, and yeah. he went back to Lemuria, to okay. Atlantis. Lemuria came first. So how Lemuria, long? So how how long ago had, would that be? Um. Well, Atlantis was like 25,000 years ago. Uh, 25 years, 25,000 years ago to 10,000 years ago, we're talking about Atlantis. We talk about Lemuria going back 150, 200,000 years more. Hmm. I mean, you know, it goes, it goes way back. And what happened is when the planet became um, fertile for life, and there was all sorts of life, and and the, the God gene or God or spirit or whatever you want to call it, I try not to get into all of the, the, the religious political bullshit, um, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to call it God, uh, was seeding the planet. It was to watch the process of evolution. If you just put something in, you know, God is like the ultimate scientist. Hmm. Put something in and let's observe and see what happens. Parts of God... Um, you know, and, and God had started, you know, had created other species. There were other things. There are races that are older than man that existed in the universe, races that, that, that died out and things like this. And each one was a marker in, in the evolution of God, God's self, of learning. Because how does a God learn? For experience, through us, in a way, isn't it? Through, through the, yes, yes. Yeah. So originally, Lemuria was here to um, Lemuria was here to be an observation place where God split off part of God's self into like cells, into observers 
that was a race that, you know, was like, at that point, is when the closest, when man was closest to being angelic. So to speak. Yeah. So were they physical? Were they energy, physical, or a mixture of both? No, no, there was not physical at all in Lemuria at the beginning. Not, not for souls. And I always look at soul as a cell in the body of God. So if you think of a cell in the human body, which is both the body and not the body, and it is the whole body, but it's not the whole God. Hmm. You know, everything that exists in the cell exists everywhere else in the yeah. DNA. Hmm. Well, so soul is actually a cell in the body of God. So these souls were spun out to be observers in Lemuria in this experiment, kind of like a, an away team on, uh, you know, on a, on a Star Trek. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen Star Trek, but, you know, kind I've of like an away you. team. They're, supposed to, they're trying to be observing what's going on on the planet. So what are they observing, exactly? They were observing the evolution of actually the early plants, the early animals, what was going on, um, uh, of how did these things evolve that didn't, that were made from the matter of God, but were not cells from the body of God. And there is a difference. And so as that was happening, what happened is the souls learned the ability to go in and actually become one with the animals so that they could go in and they could experience what it was like to have a physical experience that an animal would have. What did it feel like to feel cold? Because if you don't have a body, how do you know what cold is? How do you know what hunger is? How can you know these things if you don't have a body? So what happened is, in, in, in Lemuria, we started being able to go in, meld in a form with the bodies to experience cold, hunger, uh, mating, these sort of things. What happened is that, there was a, that, that we started to get addicted to sensual pleasures, to what it was like to feel. And then that scientific start part took over, and we started creating some of what, what, what were the early atrocities. We had animals that would never mate, mate, and actually force birth to happen, which is what some of the early mythical creatures were actually Lemurian creatures that were created through, um, through this experience of going, um, of being into the animal and forcing the animal to do something out of its natural instinctive thing. So was this still um, Lemuria, or was this kind of moving into Atlantis period now? Well, the, the, the first time it happened, it happened in Lemuria. And one of the things is that in there, we we started... We basically got slapped down. We basically, the souls that were watching were still complete souls, and they were told, don't do this. Yeah. Don't do this. You're messing with it. You're messing with the whole evolutionary process. You're putting things. Stop doing it. 
souls became addicted to the ability of the power they had over the animals. And that, that's what ended up creating the physiological destruction of, of Lemuria was the fact, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just bringing this right down into, you know, like, you know, I've got a whole book about it. They can get the book if they want. Um, you know, it's at weboflight.com. So they can go get it or amazon.com or wherever. The books are there. It's all over the world. You can get the book. But in there, Lemuria failed because we became, started to become addicted to, to animal pleasures and we basically defied the guiding principles of the universe, i.e. God and the angels. And if you look at that in the book, we actually tie that to some of the early chapters of the Old Testament. Sure. Like what was going on in the Old Testament. And really, there was the Old Testament started by talking about Lemuria. And then um, what happened is we then get to the place where that has to... That, that goes away. Lemuria goes down. Atlantis comes up. We're given a different set of um, criteria. And one of the things that happens is split-aparts are created because we were warned, we were warned, and then when the destruction happened, you had a communicator part of the soul and you had a receiver part of the soul, they were all one part of the soul. And half was in the animal body, and half was outside of the animal body, like getting the data, getting the information, keeping track of it. And when Lemuria destructed it, the, the body, the soul was actually wrenched apart. And so that's where the whole notion that goes all the way back to Aristotle and Plato and the early Greek, you know, all of the early ones, talk about split-aparts. Because once we had a soul that was part of a larger single cell soul, part of God. And that was, and that was created. And so then we talked about that God had to create a housing unit, which is why you'll never find the actual missing link. God had to create a housing unit where things were taken from different animal species and different root races were created by the attachment that different soul groups had to different kinds of animal races. And again, you know, there's a, there's a whole thing in the book about how that breaks down and, you know, what group soul was attached to what animal or, you know, animal, fish, bird group, and why, why they became the four root races and how that falls down. I mean, um, but so Lemuria goes down, Atlantis comes up, we have these souls that are now stuck in an incarnational cycle that are working their way back to God, and they have split aparts, and we have another layer of souls which were not part of the destruction but were involved. We also are now having more extraterrestrial involvement in Atlantis. Earth has become the hottest spot in the universe because we are creating things that have never been created before. We're inter we're, we have a process that's been going on. And so we talk, then we start talking about the creation of Atlantis. Atlantis, we're dealing more with the, the, the experiments at some point continued. Technology, you know, when, when technology exceeds spirituality is what creates destruction. Yeah, they know both things be in, in, well, in harmony together, don't they? Hand in hand, really. So 
Yeah. And so, and Atlantis, you know, if we were baby as, as a species, as a set of, as a soul group, if we were babily arrogant in Lemuria, we were supremely arrogant in Atlantis. So what was, I mean, what were the, um, the beings like? What was the humans like in, in Atlantis? I mean, what did they look like? How did they live? Well, the Atlanteans, and it's so funny because the first time I ever got a vision of Atlantis when I was 17, and I didn't even know what Atlantis was. I was, I was at a metaphysical circle group, and we were talking, and somebody said the word Atlantis, and I went into, I mean, there's a longer story, but I'll keep it short. But I went into a vision, and I saw Atlantis, and I didn't even know what it was. All I knew was when I came out of it, I knew that I had been there, and wherever it was was beautiful and gone, and I was crying. Um, and Atlantean beings were energy beings. So they were taller, and they coalesced into energy, but they were translucent they really they could solidify into a form like but they really didn't have form they would have enough form which is why a lot of times you will see atlanteans portrayed as having robes sometimes because they could coalesce enough to 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 have a light draping of something that would go on them to give them shape and form as they moved but underneath it it was just energy keeping it up almost think about almost as if you had a bunch of electrical uh, electromagnetic energy um and you threw something on it, and it was coalesced enough that, it, that, the, that the cloak could ride on the energy, but it's not really riding on a form. Yeah. Those were the Atlanteans who were part of the group of the Lemurians who did not get split apart. They were still complete. The, the, the humans at this point were talking about early man, Early man, we're talking about Atlantis was the crown jewel of the earth and the root races had been spread out and we had things going on in, you know, Egypt and Sumeria and very, very early and the Mayans and the very, very early root of the cultures, all which were being guided by Atlantis to evolve, which is why we get glimpses and we see, we get evidence of just truly spectacular um, technology existing in a culture 10 or 15,000 years ago. And they'll dig it up. They'll find it in a pyramid. They'll find something. They'll go, oh, my God, how did they do this? You know, the, I, I always remember the one that they found evidence that somebody had, had, had successful brain surgery and lived another 20 years. Back in pre-recorded history, they could tell by the skull they found that they had cut the skull open and it had healed and the person continued to grow. I mean, so they were doing successful brain surgery, you know, 12,000 mm. years ago. Yeah. So you know, and... Go ahead. No, good. I mean, they basically had technology, but um, from what I've read in uh, various books, it seems that they, they utilized crystals for most of their power crystals? and energy. Crystals, sound, light, all those were all used. Yeah. Um, you know, sound was used actually as a weapon. It was also used as a power generating tool. So were they, I mean, were they a spiritual race um, with a few bad eggs, if you like? Or were they just all arrogant? I mean, what, what was they actually like as a, as a people? I mean, did they have a governing body that governed them? Yes, yeah. And, I, and, and this is where the, conf and this was a confirmation I got basically the the you know it really was broken into the the same kind of groups this is where a place 
you know, because in, 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 entwined in the book is I already had an Atlantis and Lemuria class put together based on the Casey materials prior to all of this additional stuff. So I got stuff that filled in some of the blanks, but the, the, the way Casey talks about Atlantis, most of my channels agreed with was fairly accurate enough that they built on that, filled in those holes and worked around it. But you had that, so, and I, and I make that clear in the book. I mean, I don't, I don't claim, you know, I don't claim that I came out with stuff that Casey came out with, you know, 80 years ago. Um, you know, again, they filled in around the edges and they gave us a wider perspective of stuff, which Casey never did. So with this, what we're talking about here is, um, yes, you had a ruling council. You had different groups that were in charge of different things. Think of ambassadors. You had ambassadors to the to what we're calling now the human race, ambassadors to the planet, to the to the to the to the ocean kingdoms, to the animal kingdoms, the plant kingdoms, just like you know that that were that were observing, looking at it. You had some that went bad. You had some that got obsessed with power, like. <laughs> Like, we don't see that today happening. <laughs> no, not really. Yeah, it's like history repeats. Uh, yeah. You know, and so we go through this thing, Ian, where we step up and you have the people that say, you know, might is right. You know, we're, you know, these, it's so funny, you know, these are like half-breeds. They only have half a soul. We got a whole soul. They're stuck in a body that has limitations. It feels pain. It feels cold. It can be killed. Um, the, and the soul can never be killed, but the body can be killed, and the soul has to come back into a new body. And so we're superior. And so there were those people in Atlantis that enslaved the humans no different than what we do to animals. Hmm. You know, the slavery started in Atlantis, you know, long before, you know, long before Africa and, the uh, you know, and you guys and us and deep in the land of cotton were bringing them over in boats. Slavery was going was alive and well in Atlantis, and the thing is, if you were human, you were a slave because you were you were not the superior race. Yeah, the, the Atlanteans were the superior race. Yeah, I've, I've I've kind of come across that as well. So they became almost a bit arrogant, really, because they were more powerful. Um, but were, I mean, were there people that? were the Atlantean type of being that were spiritual. I mean, it's like in today's oh, absolutely. world. You know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it was... Atlantis destroyed itself. Yeah. God, you know, I, you know, I always put it this way. God, in a way, through, through the supporting and the work of Earth changes, destroyed Lemuria. The Atlanteans destroyed themselves and it was the Atlanteans that were spiritual, of good conscience, that were the, quote-unquote, the good guys, who knew that the human race would never be able to evolve and find its own power and be what they were, they were, they were capable of being unless Atlantis went away. Only with the destruction of Atlantis, only with the finishing of the process of what started with Lemuria, could we actually have a chance to see what would happen in the experiment Earth with the introductions of humans. So is experiment Earth the journey from our, what we know as the human being, the human sapi the homo sapiens sapien? Is that the, the journey you're talking about? Well, no, about? the experiment Earth journey is, why did God create Earth? He created it as a... As a oh, I see, going all the way back. As a, yeah, as a, as, a, yeah. as a terrarium. It was a science experiment. 
and why and you know and so and it, and it is all about evolving god and and what i am going to yeah. say because i know we must be running out of time um the uh but one of the things that i um that i will that i that i will say is that um in the book if you get to the end you will find out about god and god's desire to have a hot date on a saturday night because that's what it comes down to so anyway, so that gives you some. Bre- I mean, I've been I'm, my throat's almost sore. I've been I've been yakking so much, trying to put so much information yeah. in, and such a sloppy amount of time. I'm like, Arr! yeah. So questions. I mean, just uh, yeah, just one question. I mean, question there. I mean, how did they destroy themselves? Um, what did they do? The um the destruction of Atlantis was a decision to unleash something that was being used as a weapon for protection because the earth had become aggressive towards other planets and feared that it was going to be taken over. And they had a a weapon that was turned in on itself that actually um, so disrupted that it it actually broke up Atlantis into islands and then those islands got completely submerged because it changed the tectonic plates of the earth. It was harnessing the energy yeah. of the earth to be used as a weapon that some people in Atlantis believe could be a weapon to protect, them, to protect earth from the angels and God, which of course was ludicrous, mm. because, but that's all right. The arrogance was running high back then. Yeah. Um, but it was a weapon that actually went in and, and instead of harnessing earth to send power outward, the, the Council of Five made the choice with that one deciding voice to turn that inward and actually shift the plates that, that actually broke up, like having a series of earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, all of this stuff, and literally destroyed Atlantis, which actually existed above the sea and below the sea, um, and encapsulated itself in a free space where it could exist above and below water because the energy beings had no trouble below water. Um, and, of course, yeah. you know, that which goes on in the ocean is full of life and things like this. Um, and so there was a lot of crystals and there was a lot of light, and there was, but there was a lot of semi-permeable things. I mean, I remember in seeing Atlantis, when I had the vision of it so many years ago, long before I wrote Experiment Earth, when I just had a vision of it, it was almost like opalescent walls of energy that you could see through and you could project your energy through, but that physical matter couldn't pass through. So, like, the, the, the part of Atlantis that was underwater, the waters were outside the energy bubble. Picture, okay. picture like a bubble that you would blow with a bubble pipe. Only the energy force field was so great that even though it looked as though if you just pushed it, it would pop, it it, it could hold back, you know, tons of pressure of water. It could protect itself from all kinds of water and air and things like this. And it was generated, and and they were very good at generating stuff 
not only out of crystals, but out of like the center of the Earth, the Earth's own gravitational. They, you know, I mean, they used really some really advanced stuff, things we still don't know how to use today. Mm. Um, so do you think it's possible to get there? I mean, is the, are we living, I mean, some people say that you have to be a higher vibration to use those kind of things. I mean, is the Earth reality, um, you know, does it have those conditions to allow those kind of things to still manifest? Or do we need to be sort of a higher consciousness to do that? even though they didn't sound as if they were that spiritual, if you know what I mean. Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. I mean, my view of the world is there are a lot of very non-spiritually based people that are making lots of breakthroughs, you know, with power and force and genetics and splicing, and um, spirituality is not required. Right, It is, you know... This is physics. So just really understanding the mechanics of the universe, isn't it? So relearning how reality is shaped and how you can manipulate it. Yes. And it's getting yourself to a place. It's getting yourself to a place where you can see beyond the limits where you can see beyond the limits of our own physicality. And the very interesting thing I'm going to tie up to this, that I'm going to tie this back into some of the stuff that we talked about, um, is this, this group of children that we have coming in that we call ADD, and I'm not going to open up that can of worms because that can be another whole show sometime if you want. But um, they have that ability to step out of our dimensional limitations and see things that's definitely a step closer to the Atlanteans' abilities. So do you think we're heading in that direction? Oh, we're headed there. Yes, we're headed there. Um, And again, there is the struggle between technology and spirituality, and as always... At the core of it is its power. Its power, and it's the Mm. and it's those people who only know how to get power by by waging power over other people, versus people who know how to get power from their personal centered power, their connection to spirit, their way of moving through the world. There's all sorts of ways to get power, but the struggle has always been that the people who are who are obsessed and addicted to the more physical forms of power so to speak which is rampant in the world today okay mm. with everything from you know all the wars we have to all of the you know things going on in Darfur and you know all of the things and you know yeah. and any and yeah. any country that puts down and abuses women is afraid of power. The men are petrified of the, the male the male power role model that's in charge in several areas of the world is so dysfunctional that female energy is enough to make it basically wet its pants, which is why it has to yeah. constantly attack it 
and try to put force over it and do, you know, mutilations and rapes and all of those things is coming from a place of absolute abject fear of the, of, of the resurrection of the female power. Yeah. I mean, I, there's such huge um, uh, disparities between the polarities, if you like, the negative and the positive. And, um, and I've seen some really harsh stuff on the news of late, what you talk about the mutilations as well in women. And um, um, sort of studying the work by Drumvelo, uh, Mel Chizadek, I believe that's his name. Oh, he talks about the feminine energies. That's it, yeah. He, he talks about the emergence of the female energies and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting to see if that does all play out, where they do get a chance to, um, you know, express themselves properly. So it would be interesting to see if the female aspect does start to come out, and there is truth in that. What do you well, think of that? I think that you know one of the things is first of all, uh, you know, and this is one of the questions. This is one of the things I always question: is uh, feminine energy? is not limited to a female body. There are many, quote-unquote, gender females that are coming from a masculine energy place. Uh, the limited belief system of that somehow feminine power is only found in the feminine form works against us. And we do have women that are pulling the wool over our eyes because they're completely living in their masculine energy and their masculine energy is just as dysfunctional as the masculine energy of the people that are in charge. And so we want to be careful here. I think there are some wonderful things being made and yes, both genders should be seen as equal and equally capable, but the ultimate is to get both genders to be equally comfortable in their feminine and masculine, their yin and their yang energy, to recognize that there is power in both of those energies, to see what that power is, and to be able to call upon that power and use it at will. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's fantastic. I, I see exactly what you're saying there. It's like in men, um, you know, like you, men can be in the UK, slip up a lip, they don't show their emotions and everything, and they, they, they have to be this hard exterior. So they're not really tuning into their feminine side. So it's quite it's a dangerous part of their personality, isn't it? So it's almost like we have to be, have balance. Yes, and, and, and yeah, and don't think, I mean, there is a unhealthy perverted side to feminine energy and an unhealthy perverted side to masculine energy. And whether it wears a bow tie or a pair of heels, it can exist in the dysfunctional form yeah. in either place. Yeah, well said. Yeah, so, well said. yes, we're making strides, but not as many as you would like to think. And we get no. sold the bill of goods. And, you know, and, and what we're looking at is we're looking at, again, large, and this always happens. Before there is a breakthrough, there is always a dark ages. Before there was the Renaissance, there had to be the Dark Ages. There had to be a time of such oppression and control that there had to be something to rise up against. Because I will tell you this, and I can't tell you how many times I have said this, especially in the last six or nine months being interviewed on radio shows and, and in my lectures and my own radio show. It is not the dysfunctional masculine-feminine, it is not the lovers of power, chaos, and pain um, that are going to be our undoing. 
And it will not be the light workers. It will not be the harmoniously centered, loving people that will be our rescue. It will be the apathetic. The apathetic are the ones that either have to be woken up and find their power or they will be the ones that sink us. Because you have 10% of the negative people or the, or the negative energies, you have 10% of the positive energies, and right now you've got a world that's 80% apathetic. And if we don't wake it up, yeah. that will be mm. what sinks the human consciousness because they're just going to follow. I call them sheeple. They're just... That's right. It's, it's true. I mean, I, I, I found a quote that I've put into one of our videos um, from Einstein, and he just said something, something I'll paraphrase it really, but he said that... Um, for evil men to do evil things, good men do nothing, and and that's that's the thing. A lot of people just sit back and think they don't need to do anything, and that they are kind of addicted to the telly. You know, the, the normal mundane life, watching um, you know American Idol or in in England X Factor stuff like that. So then, but maybe you know, like sometimes people need to be humbled to really. St- to come out and do something. So there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment with um, the financial markets, um, climate change, stuff like that. So unfortunately, those might be the things that really kick people into action. Well, and the funny thing is, and I've said this over and over, is um, you know that we 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 look at we we look at this, and my practice has never been busier. I'm helping more people than I've ever helped. My book sales are up. More people are tuning into my radio shows. People are looking. That which we thought we could count on has let us down. You know, we thought we could, we thought we could trust our banks. They couldn't do it. We thought we could trust Wall Street, you know, your version of Wall Street over there. You thought you could trust it. They screwed us over. The politicians screwed us over. They put billions of dollars in so the millionaires could have their bonuses and their stuff, and no more jobs have been really created at the end of the day. The money hasn't gone. You know, the homes are still being foreclosed on. You know, um, you know all the people we could trust. And go back to the Dark Ages. Everybody trusted the Catholic Church. And 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 mm. then we broke into the Renaissance, and we had the Reformation, and then we had you know Protestantism got born, and and science got born. I mean, really, science as a field of study, and I get challenged on this sometime, and it's okay, you don't have to agree with me. Um, science as a real solidified field of study really came out of the Dark Ages and into the Renaissance. I mean, before that, you always had people that had scientific minds, but it wasn't real, a real solid field of study. Modern science, let me put it that way, the birth of modern science. And it was created to prove God because the church let us down. The church was so mm. corrupt, we couldn't believe them anymore, which is why the church went out and, you know, went into all of these native cultures with people that were less socially advanced and force them into Catholicism because the people who got educated saw all of the abuses of the church and overthrew it. It's, but it's almost like jumping out the, the frying pan into another though, isn't it? Because where religion kind of separated people from, from really who God is, like being in, within themselves and they are an aspect of God, and then being fearful of a controlling kind of... Um, I don't know, system, 
then came science but then science became almost another thing that separated them from God and people would jump on you if you didn't believe in their theories and it's either their way or the highway do you see what I mean so it's kind of gone down that route again but we kind of it seems but we're sort of with quantum physics it seems we've got the the opportunity at last to kind of break out of it because the quantum field it kind of explains other things, isn't it? But there's possible dimensions. Um, it kind of almost proves that there is a connectivity in everything. So maybe that we, we're getting to a point now where we can unify spirituality with science, which is really exciting. Well, yes, and if we can pull that off, but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of le- quote unquote legitimate science that still, you know, turns its nose up at that sort of stuff. I mean, and it's got, exactly. Oh yeah, and we're no better in the New Age spiritual community. You watch somebody that will leave an abusive religion that's all power-based and all power-centered, and they will turn around, and what they do is they will get involved in some New Age thing where suddenly their way is the only way, you have to do it their way, uh, blah, 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 and all they've done is they've replicated what they've left, only now they're in charge. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's difficult. It is difficult. I, I've got to say, Kevin, uh, Doctor Kevin. Um, I mean, this has been a, a power-packed show, and um, I mean, if you would give me the opportunity again, I'd love to do another show with you because you've you've certainly got a lot of material that we could cover in a different show. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd like to wrap it up now anyway. But Absolutely. Um, just to let listeners know, if you want, if you do want to check out Dr. Kevin's work um, and the books that he's got on, on his website, his DVDs, his radio show, he's got a website called www.weboflight.com, and I, I recommend that you check that out. Um, if you've got anything you want to close with, yes, a quote by Santiana: "Those who do not remember the past are doomed to repeat it." Yeah, very poignant words there. Very powerful. And something we should listen to as well. And I'd love to come back. We, you know, we've got so many other things we could touch that I have books, DVDs, or that I talk about. I mean, so, uh, yeah, so, great. I will look forward to it. And thank you very much. And, you know, if you're, you know, and the other thing I'm going to say to your listeners, if you're, you know, another thing I'm sure you've heard, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. There's only two choices. <laughs> That's it. Well, thank you very much, um, Dr. Kevin, and um, we will definitely contact you and speak great. very soon. Great. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. God bless.